Hello, I'm Julie Gould, and this is Working Scientist, the Nature Careers podcast. In this episode, we're discussing the importance of material science in China and why it's such a big focus of science research. Material science plays a really key role in in, in both aspects of that, both in terms of the very high-end technological stuff, as well as raising the average living standard for Chinese people living in these in these rural communities. Science in China is changing rapidly and a lot of money is being thrown at it as China hopes to become a leader in scientific research and development. And one of the topics that the government is keenly interested in supporting is material science. So in this episode, Sarah Amira, a London-based journalist, speaks to two editors based at the Springer Nature offices in China about why material sciences is under the spotlight. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So today we're going to be talking about material science in China. And with me are two people who know a huge amount about it, both based in the Springer Nature office in Shanghai. Xin Li, the associate editor of Nature Materials, and John Plummer, a former senior editor for Nature Materials. He's now the senior portfolio editor for Nature Partner Journals. Okay, so I'm just going to start by asking a very broad question. John, tell me a little bit about the areas of material science that China excels in and, and why you think that is. From my observation, I would say that a key area where China really does excel is in applied material science. So material science with an intention towards a final application. I think partly one of the reasons for this is that the Chinese government, Chinese funding agency, they do want usable technologies to come out of the research that's being done in China. So to give an example of this, perhaps one of the best I can think of is research into nanomaterials, in particular two-dimensional materials like graphene. To add to that, I think it's worth emphasizing the importance of material science to the development of China. I mean, you take China as a developing country, and in terms of research, the government both wants to be undertaking really cutting-edge material science research for things like, you know, the most high-end Uh, electronic devices that are being looked at anywhere. And they have to balance that with trying to raise the standard of living for Chinese people living in more rural areas. And material science plays a really key role in in, in both aspects of that, both in terms of the very high-end technological stuff, as well as raising the average living standard for Chinese people living in 
in these rural communities. So the Chinese government knows the importance of material science, and that's one of the reasons why funding is so is so strong. Um, Shin, would you agree with that characterization? And besides this applied material science, I think China has also trying to encourage uh, more innovative work in uh, in cutting edge research areas. For example, like quantum communication and computing. Uh, in the past years, China uh, has made several breakthroughs with launching the first quantum satellite. So these high levels of funding, does that mean that there are really good opportunities for scientists if they come and do material science in China? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, China has been trying to like attract researchers back, especially in the past 10 years. There have been a lot of talent programs in the national level or from the provinces and universities. And those programs provide a very good package and funding support. And how about for overseas scientists? Is it the same? I think for foreign scientists, especially young scientists, thinking of coming to do their research in China, there's certainly fantastic opportunities there for them. I think the advantage that potentially young foreign scientists have when they come to China is that you know, because of this investment in material science and science in general in China, there's fantastic facilities that many Western universities would be very, very uh, envious of. And obviously, as a young scientist, this is you know, these are often very, very attractive. The other advantages are they may receive salaries that are significantly higher than they might receive in their own countries. For, for young foreign scientists, certainly there's not. Not many that have taken the plunge and actually moved to China, but there's there's fantastic opportunities for those that do. What areas are the most important in terms of furthering your career in material science? What will get you funding and what will get you noticed? Because as we mentioned before, so nanomaterial science in China, we can say can be very well developed. And I I, I noticed that the uh, they try to encourage, uh, they try to attract more researchers in those fields uh, where China is not as stronger as the like nanomaterial science. So that means for the for the fields, the China is not very strong at. And also, they are trying to attract the researchers uh, working in those cutting edge areas like quantum communication, computing, and also the artificial intelligence. And does this approach work in terms of the quality of material science? Is it, is it leading to, to good innovation and some original thinking in China? Uh, yes, I think so, uh, because we can see very clearly that uh, the quality of the innovation or the research work in China has improving very fast. Uh, it's not just the quantity of publications. And the quality of the work becomes uh, more and more important, no matter for the for the researchers and also for the for the evaluate in the evaluation systems. And the policies and also the guidelines of funding agencies they they encourage innovation in a very clear way. And during the uh, evaluation, they put more and more weight on the original originality and the novelty of the work, uh, such as the publication publications in high-profile journals uh, instead of counting the numbers of publications. Yeah, I agree. I, I, think that, I think in China, certainly at a high level, 
research funders, NSFC, Chinese Academy of Sciences, MOFT, they, they realize that China needs to do more innovative research. And as, as Xin says, I certainly agree innovation in research is improving here. I think one of the big barriers to more innovative research is that researchers here, I mean, this is, this is true all over the world, but, uh, but I think perhaps to an even greater extent that researchers are under pressure to demonstrate the output from their research. So things like publishing in top journals, starting a company. If you go and talk to any scientist, perhaps the number one thing that they want is freedom and time to work on you know, what is of interest to them. They don't want to feel under pressure that they've got to publish two or three papers a year. To do innovative research, you need time to explore things. Some things might work, some things might not work. So I think there has to be more appreciation from the people in China that are, that are allocating funding or assessing research. There has to be more appreciation that scientists do need, do need more time. Shin, I know that you've studied abroad and, and now you, you're working back in China. Do you think there's anything quintessentially different about the research environments between China and, and overseas that might also feed into why China struggles to be more innovative in its, its scientific research? I think the culture in the lab is uh, very different. Uh, in the West, I think the PhD students, they are more, uh, more independent. And in, in Chinese labs, um, I think there are, there are more interactions and communications between the advisors and, uh, and the PhD students. Yeah, and just to add to that, just in terms of research environment, if you walk into a lab in China, the, high, the likelihood is that all of the researchers there will be Chinese. There's still a very, very few number, at least compared to if we take Europe or North America, there's a very few number of foreign uh, researchers here, you know, actually doing their research full time in China. And when we're talking about doing innovative research, it could it could be argued, but one of the that one of the key points that you need is a diverse range of researchers. And when I say diverse, I mean you need men, you need women, you need people from different countries, people with different experience, people that have come through different educational systems. The challenge that you have if everyone has gone through the same educational system and is of the same cultural background is that, such as some of those, those points that Shin just mentioned, it can really be a, be a big hindrance to doing research. So I think that, that also is a, is a, is a challenge that, that China has to face. So the relationship between the US and China has not been good recently, and the the arguments that are happening between the two countries are very much focused on who owns the intellectual property of the world. You know, when it comes to technology, who's inventing the best products, who's going to make the most money out of them. And the US and China are engaged in a trade war that is making life very difficult for scientists because they are putting barriers in the way of international collaborations. So, John, tell me about how the US-China trade war is affecting the world of science in China as you see it. I mean, I, I can't give any tangible examples at the moment, but one might anticipate that a conflict like this, it would inevitably place uh, barriers or restrictions on the ability for both Chinese scientists to collaborate and work and interact with 
researchers in the U.S. and likewise for for, for the many researchers in the U.S. That, that collaborate with Chinese researchers, it could well place barriers on that, perhaps in terms of travel restrictions or restrictions on grants if a funding agency knows that the project is in collaboration with China. And which areas of material science do you think would be most directly affected by this ongoing tension? Which areas of research might become very, very difficult for scientists to work on collaboratively? The memos said that the restrictions are on on some research areas and technologies such as artificial intelligence, uh, supercomputing, quantum information, nanoscience, and advanced uh, manufacturing. So I think it basically covers like uh, a large number of different kinds of research areas in material science. So tell me about technology transfer in China. Um, we get the impression that China is a real powerhouse for manufacturing and that there are a huge amount of new products um, coming out of China. Um, what's the reality like? How does work come out of the lab and and into the factory? I think China is paying more and more attention to the technology transfer. I think the environment right now is quite good. They're providing a lot of support and they're providing a platform for researchers to transfer their innovative techniques to to real technologies and to help them to, to build their startups. And who's driving this? Is it the scientists or is this government? My impression was that in some areas that the Chinese government has, has determined are, are really important and China has very good potential, such, such as two-dimensional materials or graphene, as we mentioned earlier, I think there's some centralized approach towards you know, setting up agencies that will encourage technology transfer, linking together researchers and people in industry. But my experience has been that a lot of the the examples of successful commercialization have really come from the researchers themselves going out there and being very proactive in terms of finding investors, finding backers. I think one of the great opportunities and also challenges in China is that there are a lot of people in China that are capable or rather have the financial means to be able to support new technologies, support a new startup company. But with that comes huge expectation in terms of the money that they're going to make and also how quickly they're going to make their money. Say in a Western country, you might expect your payback on a, you know, you've invested in a new technology, you might expect to make your money back within about five years. In China, if you say to a uh, an investor that you, you, you'll get return in five years, quite probably they'll laugh at you. They're not going to invest in something where they get nothing for five years. So there's also quite an aggressive culture for, you know, for making money. And as I say, it's good and bad. It's, it's good that there's people out there that are willing to, to support technology transfer. But with that comes huge expectations and often unrealistic expectations. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Shin and John. Um, It's fascinating to hear about the material science um, in China, particularly at a time when it's, it's, you know, front and centre in the news every day. Who owns the technology of the world? And it's really important to understand, you know, what's happening behind those, those wider conversations. Thanks, Sarah O'Meara. And if you want to find out some more about material science in China, you can go to 
go.nature.com forward slash materials in China. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.